Welcome to Top Brew, the show that is best served fresh. This is episode 48. I am Joe Darnell, and joining me today is my pal, coffee roasting champion of 2015, Mr. Eric Rauch. Good morning, Joe. I didn't realize there was a competition. Yes, there was. Uh, you won the craft thrasher coffee roasting. Oh, uh-huh. you know. If, if whatever extravaganza. I, never, I don't remember holding the big check or, or, or anything like that. There was you. You were the, the only contestant and the <laughs> final contestant. Oh, it was a it was a competition of one. And you are the one. You got it. You won. <laughs> Here's your bonus. Here, I'll get back to work. Congratulations. <laughs> Here, have some more coffee. Thanks. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas is happening to us. It is. It's this upon is, us. This is Wednesday. We You know, we record this show fresh and deliver it fresh on Wednesdays. So it doesn't feel like this is really happening yet. December flew by. I know. I, I can't believe As it. As it seems to do every year. No, it didn't every year for me. Like this is, this is a first. This is the first really? fast December for me. Probably yeah. you must be getting older. I must be. I'm losing all of my, my youthfulness where it's like, oh, are we there yet? Yeah. I stopped asking mom and dad that last week. Oh yeah. Then you're definitely getting older. Hmm. Trying You're becoming an adult. Finally. <laughs> it, it must mean I'm going to have a long life. Yeah, maybe. Maybe next week I'll stop following superheroes. Uh, well, no, that's never going to happen. <laughs> the, the way Marvel keeps on cranking out movies. That's right. Um, have you tried any sort of special Christmas blends besides Thrasher Zone? Have you been experimenting with any sort of seasonal things? Some of the roasters have like their their anniversary blends this time of year right they, they also had a thanksgiving blend maybe thrown in there did you try anything i didn't actually um just too busy making too much roasts yeah thrasher being I, successful I have, if i'm if i'm not laying in my bed i'm pretty much staring at a coffee roaster these ever since black friday we've been we've been roasting pretty continuously which is good you know it's but uh, yeah. i haven't had much time for much of anything else hmm what are you drinking then lately? Are you drinking the Christmas blend or are you keeping up with something else that's a personal favorite? You know, have we ever talked about your favorite among your own blends? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we have or not. I, I try to cup, not, not every roast, but I try to cup enough roasts that, that, I'm, that I'm getting a quality control on, on what I'm doing. But when I'm doing so many each day, as I have been lately, it's been exceedingly difficult. So no, I haven't. I haven't really been doing anything other than just the occasional cup of what I'm roasting. Nothing out of the ordinary in that regard. So yeah, but I have been drinking some of our Christmas blend. And um, Eric, it sounds like Mister Scrooge has been working you to the bone. Uh, no, I mean I enjoy it. I mean, don't get the idea that it's it's a rod for my back or anything. I, I mean, I do enjoy it. But we'll it's give just, you some extra coal for the fire tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, we just watched um, Muppet Christmas Carol last night. Yeah, so we watched it two nights ago. Yeah, that's fresh in my mind, you know, with the with the bookkeepers wanting the wanting the coal. Yeah, I know this isn't that podcast, but if we can make any sort of recommendation from the way of Christmas movies, I'm going to say it's got to be the Muppets Christmas Carol. You, you know, you sold me on that one of years ago. Yeah, and it's just the best. I was thinking about you don't really see that many humans in the movie. Yeah, Not like you do in a lot of the other Muppet films, but. There's a lot of presence from Michael Caine, and it just still it still feels natural. It just works. Yeah, I mean, most of them are pretty true to the book, but really, but the Muppet Christmas Carol is is actually quite true to the book. I mean, you know, they take a couple yeah. artistic license times here and there, but but it's really pretty close to the actual you know Dickens short story. Yeah, I like it that they just didn't try to add to it very much. They made, they made it simple and accessible for all audiences. Yeah, 
it's entertaining enough because there's just enough of the Muppets shenanigans right. to make it feel like it's a genuine classic Muppets movie. They yeah. they made an instant classic with that film. Yeah, well they had they had great material because if if you've if you've never read, I know this is a coffee podcast, not a not a uh, novel podcast, but if you've never read Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, I highly recommend you do because it's kind of like uh, Washington Irving's Sleepy Hollow. It's such an intense story, and it's so well written that you actually start to feel cold when you're when you're reading a, a Christmas Carol. You do, just right. like you, you start to feel kind of uh, paranoid and suspicious when you're reading Sleepy Hollow. The words in that story really really put you in in the mind of the character, and it, your body drops like ten degrees. You just you just feel colder when you're reading it. So it's it's an American classic. Well, it's not an American classic, but it's it a cla- like- it's a Christmas classic. And and it and if you haven't read it, please do. It does feel like we've we've taken advantage of a lot of classics around the world and made them our own with things like the Muppets. Christmas yeah, and they Carol. even they even do that in there. It's the American way, yeah. and then <laughs> and then uh, was it Rizzo or or yeah. Gonzo Kaplan whispers in his ears? Like, oh, it's the British way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when you were saying that you get all cold reading the story when you're thinking about those wintry nights and blustery moments that Ebenezer Scrooge is experiencing, I couldn't help but think. Why not drink a cup of coffee while you're enjoying a good read? Absolutely. And I think that you should shake things up every now and then. If you if you go day in and day out using the same brewing methods, then it you know, is the season to change things up. You right. know, use something different. You know, we got January just around the corner and mm-hmm. maybe one of your goals for 2016 is to up your game with your coffee roasting or your brewing at home and figure out what can I do to make it more lively and interesting and pack some more punch into my brew? So now's the time to consider like what kind of brewing tools you want to add to or take away from your coffee gear at home. And I recommend that you consider what we're going to discuss on this episode. We're going to be talking about the French press. The French press. That's what we Americans and Canadians call it. Yo, uh, we call it French press. And then the rest of the world calls it by other names. It's even called the coffee, the they call it the coffee press. Yeah, I, th- I think they just call it a coffee press. I don't know. Not everywhere. Different. No, oh, no, no, really. There's multiple names for it. Really? Yeah. There's also what some people call it the the plunger press. Oh, they actually yeah, call it that. Let's not do that. The plungerer press. <laughs> and if you didn't think that that was a good idea, then I suggest you stick with French press. The French call it the coffee press. Yeah. Now, some of the origin story is interesting to me. Just I, I like how things develop over time and get cultural culturalized culturalized yeah i mean it's actually italian in its origin right yeah it was and it it was just one of those things where you would use a cheesecloth to press down the grains in a pot of boiling water to get all the grounds out of your coffee it was very rudimentary it was an ugly process and but it was just interesting because it was it was one of those things that seems like it was just meant to be. Mm-hmm. Like people were making coffee for hundreds of years before they figured out the coffee press. And then once you figured it out, it was like, oh, this is a no-brainer. So we'll talk a little bit more about its origins in a minute. But I wanted to point out, this is a favorite of mine. This is a favorite of coffee drinkers everywhere. I think that I have more friends and family familiar with French press than any other fancy you know coffee gear right. besides their electric drips. Right. Now, now, why do you think that is? Like, it got started around the same time as Melita's other pour-over products, but if there's any sort of uh, hipstery, fussy coffee gear that people are familiar with, it's going to be the French press ahead of just standard pour-overs. Why do you think that is? Uh, I don't know. I would assume mainly because 
it's 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 easy it's self-contained and there's nothing you have to buy you know there's once, nothing extraneous like paper filters right once you buy the french press you've got everything because they they come with a mesh mesh screen that acts as, as the filter and that's the only part of the whole thing that you could even call somewhat consumable if, if you use it enough you know there might be a possibility that you that you tear the screen or, or something like that but Make I mean, so many brews that you're like wearing down the metal. Yeah, I mean, I've <laughs> never done it. So, I mean, I, I, but I, I mean, I could conceive that that could eventually happen, but they're really consistent. They're reliable. They're just simple and easy to use. You know, you put the coffee in, you put the hot water in, you let it steep for uh, yeah, you know, your, four your, minutes your, or so, your preferred amount of time, yeah. and then you press it. And that's, and that's it. I mean, there's no, the big drawback for me with the French press is the cleanup. It's just a, it's a little bit of a hassle. But, you know, if you find a way that makes cleanup easier, it really is a, a good solid device that you can use with any kind of coffee. You just have to grind it a little bit coarser. And I think that you described it well because it looks elegant in the kitchen. It has just the right number of parts. It's not too complicated. Right. It's self-sufficient. And when you're getting the hang of it, it, you know you can do an entire recipe with this and boiling water and grounds. Yeah. That is pretty straightforward, even for the novice. So, but one of the things I think that really makes the French press coffee striking is all the oils that get more time to infuse with right. the water. Right. And that means you get this richer coffee, which is, well, really transcendent. You think about when this coffee press came about. We've joked around before that it was the trailblazers, the pioneers, the cowboys that enjoyed real coffee back in the day, mm -hmm. the way that they would make it over a campfire. It was yeah. very John rudimentary. Yeah, but it was, they were using a very rudimentary way of making French press coffee in a pot. And that was usually like how they were able to achieve a coffee brew was something that didn't have, they didn't have a bottom. I'm not saying that they had a real genuine beaker and plunger, but what they were doing was essentially French press like coffee. Mm -hmm. And then we just commercialized it. We got some patents going on. We, we made this thing that looked suitable in an industrial way in the industrial age that works for the kitchen. And that was the French press as we know it today. But it's the oils, right, that make it so striking compared to the electric machines. You just cannot get that. You cannot recreate the flavors, how it just rolls down the tongue yeah. with something like a Keurig or with something like the, the classic Melita electric drip makers. It's, yeah. it's not possible. Right, because there's nothing in between. It's, it's coffee and water together, and then you press it down with, with, with a metal screen. So there's no, there's no paper filter to... A, absorb the oils there's just there's nothing in between you are getting as best i can tell the closest to what that coffee tastes like that's what it is you are tasting the water that you're putting in there you know coffee's 98 percent water you're not, yeah you're not even really filtering the water in this process no so what you put in that carafe it's like tea it's like loose leaf tea you steep tea in water and then you somehow filter the leaves out and you you drink it that's basically what french press coffee is so you're getting the true flavor from those coffee beans, be it good or be it bad. So a little bit more about the backstory. We've talked about the French press before. We talked about it on episode 13. It gave a, a high endorsement. And at the time, it was still something that Eric used on a regular basis. You're not so much now, but I don't see why we wouldn't. It's just, it's not like we've fallen out of favor with French presses. I have two of them. And I'm sure you actually use a large one when you need to brew more coffee at a right. single time, right? Yeah, I, I primarily use a French press for cupping. After I roast, I'll cup the roast to see what does it taste like. 
I'll typically use a French press to do that just because it's easier. I'm not going to go through the SEA cupping protocol when it's really just me and and the guy that I work with. We're just, and, and we're just taking a couple sips and, and dumping it anyway. So it's something we can kind of put off to the side, let it steep, taste it, see where we're at, write the information down and move on. It's really simple in that regard. You know, you don't have to go through some huge cupping protocol process. It's just, it's just much easier. Mm. So what we have here is that it all started with the late 19th century. People were using those rudimentary ways by the campfire. Like I said, you'd get some boiling water and you'd use a metal mesh or a cheesecloth to screen filter that with a rod attached to it. And there essentially you had the earliest coffee presses. And then it was uh, designer Attilio Calamani in 1929 that patented his own version of the thing that became more widely used. And that was when you started to see the commercialization of the French press. Now, like we've alluded to, it, it didn't necessarily originate with the French, but they took to it very quickly, even before it spread to other parts of Europe. And there was Ferrero Bondanini, who patented his own version in 1958. And his version really is what grew in popularity throughout the rest of Europe and spread eventually to America. Mm. So it was it was around 58 and, and, and into the 60s that you saw more of the coffee presses far and wide. It's a pretty straightforward story, really. But I, I just like to know how things come about. And right. there you go. Because it feels like it's something that's always been with right. us. Because it's, it's like, it, it has always been with you and me. It's always been around in terms of our lifetimes. There was a point in time where it wasn't always around. So, 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 you know, what's the history of this thing? Yeah, coffee is like oxygen. It's just always been here, yeah. right? Everybody always had coffee. Adam and Eve had coffee in the Garden of Eden, right? Yeah, sure. No, actually not. And it's only been a few hundred years old. I mean, or even a thousand years old. Maybe coffee is a thousand to two thousand years Maybe, old. Maybe, but I don't know about that. You think that there were some of the ancients that figured it out and then the art was lost? I don't know. I don't know. I, I yeah. I, history is completely subjective. You never, you never want to get hard and fast and authoritative and ob- objective about about some sort of historical lesson. I mean, there's all sorts of origin stories to where coffee started. Um, yeah, you know, whether or not it's in the garden, I'm not going to speculate on that. That that's that's we can neither confirm or yeah, deny here nor there, and and we shouldn't really. But there's there's not there's not a clear story on things that that kind of seem to edge into the realm of almost urban myth um, yes. with with coffee. Um, but history became legend and legend became myth. Yeah. And then that becomes all we have. So that becomes the story, you know? So, um, well, we don't know where coffee came from, but we do know where most of the presses came from. Right. So there you have it. Yes. We'll get back to this in a minute. I want to say thanks to Thrasher Coffee for supporting Top Brew's podcast and our website. And Thrasher specializes in freshly roasted whole bean coffees that are made to order and delivered straight to your doorstep. Thrasher Coffee is my go-to roaster because I know the team and they're experts. And all you need is a steady source of delicious roasts and they'll set you right up. In just a few clicks at thrashercoffee.com, you'll order some delicious roasts by the pound and they'll be shipped to you at their peak freshness. You have all the options that you could need to find the amount and frequency of delivery that suits your brewing needs. They can send you coffee by the pound every two or four weeks and as whole beans or ground to suit your needs. If you really need that done, they can set you up. Premium online Thrasher coffee doesn't come at the premium price of other craft roasters. All their coffee is $17.99 plus $5 shipping on the total order. 
And unlike most small batch roasters coffee by the bag, Thrasher always gives you a true 16-ounce pound of coffee rather than the so-called 12-ounce pound that other roasters pack. That's 25% more coffee than other craft coffee roasters give you with every buck. And just for Top Brew listeners, use the coupon code TOPBREW, all one word, to receive 25% off of your first purchase. That's an incredible deal, and you'd have to just be insane not to order some today to start 2016 with a bang. My thanks to Thrasher Coffee for supporting the Top Brew Podcast and keeping the mics on. So I want to get into our brewing process. Uh, Here's how we prepare things. The first thing you do is you start the water kettle and you want to heat up your water to a boiling point. And that's what a lot of people do. We'll get here to the, we're going to break down some of the, the, the little nitty gritty subjective details concerning the water. Do you think it's preferable to have it boiling or just below boiling point or like 205 degrees? What I've been doing lately is letting the water boil. So let it come to a rolling boil so that the kettle kicks off 212 degrees and then I'll start my grind, and then I'll, I'll grind whatever whatever beans I have, put those into the French press, into the into the craft, and then add the water. So you're looking at, depending on how much how much I'm grinding, anywhere from 30 seconds to 45 seconds off boil that I'm adding the water. So yeah, it's probably close to like 210 degrees. Yeah, my kettle that I had that told me the temperature of the water broke. The kettle that I'm currently using doesn't have the. What were you doing to doesn't it? Doesn't have the gauge on it. That's a long story. We'll. We'll not talk about that right now. It's, this isn't the water kettle show. No, it's it's a it's a painful. Okay, I'm going to start another outline for another episode. Right here. <laughs> uh, so it's probably anywhere between 200 and 205 degrees by the time I by the time I add the water, depending but, on how many coals you have on the fire. Yeah, I mean that's the temperature of the water as it hits the coffee beans. As that's it, true. Yeah, it probably drops just a few degrees. Well, yeah, because yeah. because the glass carafe is is room temperature. Obviously, the beans are close to room temperature. And you end up with this with this slurry, this mash of coffee beans and and water that that I'll stir with a fork and let it settle. You know, let all the let all the foam go down, and then I'll set the timer. So at that point, it may be as low as 185 degrees. So I'm not I'm not really sure what hmm. that that's one of the uh, the mysteries of coffee brewing. We well, just don't it's, know it's, what it's really not, is not going on with the temperatures. Of, of coffee. It's one of the the things that we can't necessarily be completely accurate about because because yeah. that slurry the temperature you, you know what the temperature own. of the water is when you're when you're pouring it in but what happens when it hits the beans and the and the carafe I mean, and the stir utensil you stick vary, in there right it's going to vary yeah. with with every person's kitchen and their tools and whatever else so i mean probably only talking about maybe half a degree if even that but it's not like we can be you know, you need to steep your coffee beans at 187.5 degrees. No, not optimal. with the French press. No. Uh, yeah. And I've seen good results with brews done between a 208 to 12 or boiling point. Uh, it, it, yeah. You can't be too particular about this particular uh, setting for your recipe with the French press. And you get fine results yeah, with and, those. And steep time is is all your preference. You know, some people. But let's get to that when we get to that. I want to oh, talk more about we the coarseness of the grind. Oh, Okay. See, this is what I think is the weak point of the entire process, that the French press has a lot going for it. But if there is a weak link in the chain, then it's got to be the coarseness of your grind. And that's not something you produce with the French press itself. There isn't a, a, a coffee maker that I know of just yet that also grinds the beans, unless it's in an espresso machine. 
but they don't really count. I'm thinking about something that you have at home, you have your own device for your grind. And there's been a lot of people who started their craft coffee at home with a French press. And they came to me and said, I'm not getting what you're getting. Why is this so great? Like this doesn't taste right. It makes me weep and go back to my electric drip. And I'm like, well, what, what happened here? And so I start talking about it with them and it usually comes down to the, what they're doing to grind their beans is at fault and making it not so great with what they make in the brew. Explain that a little bit more. I'm not sure I follow you. Well, I think a lot of people that are just getting started with their handcrafted coffee, they go to the French press. And in so doing, they have to also learn the process of a good coffee grind at the same time. And because they want to be, you know, they just want the basic tools, they go and get something like a blade grinder. Mm -hmm. And then they grind it and they they tell me, yeah, there's a lot of big chunky parts. And then there's some of the coffee that's like dust. And I dump it in there and it just seems kind of weak. Oh, so when you when you take that same type of, of, of grind and throw it in a paper filter, you have less of, a, of an issue. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And I think that the problem is the grind for a lot of people. If you're just getting into the French press concept, think about your coffee grind because you need it to be consistently ground. It needs to be even in size. And what you're going for is something that is like roughly, what, what would you say, the coarseness of raw salt or raw yeah, sugar? Like, like sea salt or something. Um, it needs to be on the coarser side as far as grinds go, but it cannot yes, be chunky. It does. But I mean, you can put any grind you want. You can put it into a French press. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's up, I mean, really, it's up to you. If, if, if you don't mind the sediment in there and if you don't mind a really difficult plunge, because the finer, the finer, the uh, the finer the grind, the harder it's going to be to push. It's going to clog down. up the. It's going to clog up the screen. It's and it's going to make it next to impossible to plunge that fluid bed of coffee. But if you don't mind a lot of sediment in the bottom of your cup, if if you if you if that's something you don't you don't, don't mind filtering out with your teeth, so to speak, um, <laughs> I mean, you can do that. That's fine. It's it's not like you have to have a coarse grind in a in a French press. But there's there's occupational hazards to doing that. And that's why it's recommended that you use a coarse grind because it pushes out. You're going to get a cleaner cup and it pushes out way more easily. It's not going to be a hassle. So, so you think that the the concern of the consistency of the grind has more to do with the plunger than the actual taste of the final cup? See, personally, I think it's both. I think that yeah, you get a different it, result it, it in the flavor. It could be both. Again, if you're looking for a bold, robust cup, go with a finer grind and fight the plunge. Just know that you're going to have you're going to have some sediment in the bottom of your cup, and it's going to feel heavier on your tongue it, it, because you're going to have fine pieces of particulate coffee floating around in each sip. That's not going to hurt you. I mean, that's fine. Um, See, I, I can't really go there. I, I have to disagree because I find that I'm not saying that it has to be this way. This is this is subjective, but it's personal when, preference. It is. But when I've had a wide variety of coffee brews from a French press, I've noticed with different kinds of beans that there is approximately an ideal where you're going to get the best representation of good beans from approximately doing the exact same things on a consistent basis Mm -hmm. with your recipe. So you wouldn't say, well, the AeroPress, you can make coffee at 176 degrees in a French press. And because that's a, a full immersion and steeping press recipe device as well, we can pull that same trick off with the French press. We can set this to 180 degrees and it should just be fine. Yeah. Now, there will be certain predictable outcomes where you can just tell you don't want to drop the temperature for the French press because of what the final coffee is in your cup is going to dramatically change. Yeah. And what you get when you 
when you try to make a consistent grind means that you get more favorable consistent results that suit not everybody's taste but more people's tastes right and so I kind of think it does matter. Like you can get a richer coffee with more of the sediment sort of grind where it's finer, but I just don't think that that's going to be as pleasant on the whole with your average French press brew. Yeah. I think people want something that on average is more consistent. That's leaning towards a coarse grind because of what it makes the coffee taste like. The end result with the widest variety of beans seems to be more pleasant when you go for not extra coarse but coarse compared to what you would add to a pour over yeah there if there's but if there's one thing i've learned my entire life is is trying to extrapolate my experience onto most people we all do that we all say well this is this is my preference <laughs> and i think most people probably prefer it this way well you have absolutely you know your your sample size is one it's it's you so you can't you can't take that and extrapolate that to the rest of the mankind um, but i want them to eric yeah but there's really no reason to do that what I do and what I prefer is a, a consistent coarse grind that we can low press out. Low on the sediment and low easily. on the dramatically yeah, but large you chunks. you still get sediment. I mean, there's yeah. no such thing as a perfect grind. There's Not no such thing that, that, that every piece of coffee that comes out of that grinder is exactly the same size. I mean, exactly. it's just, it doesn't exist. You're going to get some real fine dust that's going to end up in the bottom of your cup. It's going to happen. As you often say, particulate matter. Particulate matter, yeah, um, and and that's what it is, you know. It, but it's not poisonous. It's not deadly. It's just it's just it's just fine little bits of coffee. It's not going to hurt you. We can we can give a tip to people about the sediment in a few minutes after they've made their cup. Let's go ahead and finish the the process. Then. All right. So you gently pour the water in, and you give that like to twenty to thirty seconds while you pour gently into the beaker to get your slurry on. And then you agitate it gently. You know, I think the key here is, is to think gentle. Like you don't want to stir it vigorously. You don't want to pour vigorously mm -hmm. and fast because I, again, just in general, ah, let's not throw out technique entirely. I agree. This is all very subjective yeah. and up to people's tastes, but I think that you get a better representation of a, uh, a delicious flavor profile when yes, you do stir things together and yes, you do let it steep, etc. But when you go for a, a formula that's more of a scientific method, so yes, you do need to stir it, but don't stir vigorously mm -hmm. because that tends to overdo the the flavor process and infusion with water and so that everything tastes a little bit more flat and overly mixed and more balanced and less ex accentuated yeah it, and it also doesn't let the coffee naturally degas as you're as you're adding the water you're going to you know the fresher the coffee the more you're going to notice the foam the foam build up the coffee is going to naturally degas so let that process happen because it's because it's it's letting all the co2 off let that happen. And then I let it steep for four minutes with the lid off. Really? Because, see, I, I usually put the lid on. Yeah, that's the way I used to do it. But I've, I've noticed lately that, that keeping the lid off and letting the steam rise out rather than trying, trying to trap it inside the device, I've, I've just noticed better results with the, with the lid off. Yeah, I could see how that would definitely affect the CO2 discharging mm -hmm. because you're allowing it to escape more Plus naturally. It, it's a little bit cooler. You know, by, by the mm. time it's ready to drink. That is an improvement. That is an quite issue. as hot. Yeah. Yeah, because I noticed that it went with the lid on, that you're still dealing with hot coffee in the yeah. cup. And because it smelled so good for the last th four or five minutes, I really want to take my first sip really quickly. Right. But it's still too hot. that it, it would singe the tongue. It just mm -hmm. does. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to have to remember that. That's a good idea. 
So then again, when you get to the point that you're ready to plunge the coffee, do you stir it one more time or no? Because no. that's something that a lot of people recommend and I don't either. No. And, no, I, and the, I think that their idea is that everything's settled down to the bottom over the course of the last four minutes anyway, that they want to give it just one last opportunity no. to, to give it some good mix. No, I, I mean, I have experimented with this eat both ways and it seems to yield a little bit more bitterness in the cup when you do that. You're bringing these grounds that have essentially given everything they can to, to the mix and, yeah, the and now you're now you're waking them the back ground. up, so to speak, and yeah. and like like just just let sleeping dogs lie, let let spent grounds fall to the bottom. Yeah, because the first thing that the coffee grounds release is their best flavors, their best traits. Right, and then it, when those are all spent, then you were to stir it again after the four minutes. You, all you're getting is, is more bitterness. Yeah, and and it's kind of the same thing that would happen if if you let it steep for say like six or seven minutes, or even or even ten minutes. You know, you're you're over extracting at that point. You're not there's a, a critical mass point where, okay, the coffee's given everything it can on the positive side. Now push it out of there and let it die. Don't try to reap more out of it than it's designed to give because you're going to, it's going to give you a negative taste in the cup. Yeah. Yeah. So there you have it. At this point, you're ready to plunge that plunger down. You get that all the way to the bottom of your beaker and you're done, right? You're ready to pour it, serve, and it's going to be nice and hot. Uh -huh. Now here's something that comes up also as Make a, sure if you have a certain type of French press where you have to rotate the lid, make sure you have the, <laughs> make sure you have the screen facing where the, the right the, direction. So yeah, when it pours, yeah, it, it doesn't get, gets kind of messy if you don't do that. Mm, that's true. The other thing too, that I've found recommended a couple of times was to pour it soon after you do the plunging, because just allowing for the coffee to stay there in the press along with the grounds that are under the mesh mm -hmm. affords the opportunity for more bitterness to overwhelm yeah. the last cup. Of coffee support. doesn't last very long at our house anyway. Um, so but, it usually gets poured pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, I usually don't abide by this rule, but my preference is once I, once I press it, I like yeah. to let it settle after being pressed for about a minute or so, just to let any sediment th that the screen didn't catch to let that settle out to the bottom, you know, give it time to settle down. You know, usually I'm, I'm sitting there waiting, tapping my, uh, my non-existent watch and saying, you know, hurry up. And as, as soon as it's ready to plunge, I plunge it and, and pour you're it ready to cup. pour. Right. And that's our recommendation. Once you're done with the pressing, go ahead and pour it, serve it because what you leave in the press, it affords it the opportunity to get more bitter over the next five, 10 minutes because the grounds are still there and yes, fluid is in there and the heat's rising. So any heat down there in the beans is going to rise mm -hmm. through the, the brew that is still left. Well, I mean, it's like, it's actually aging. There's like a process where it's continuing to brew. It's mm -hmm. still brewing. You think about a lot of other coffee makers, there really isn't a way for the grounds to continue to brew after you've finished the right. recipe. Cause they're separate, but here there is still that opportunity for it to, to continue brewing yeah. on its own right. by natural causes, even without stirring. So yeah, go ahead and get it out of there. I'm just going to say a couple of quick things that are considered to be pros about the French press. We're running low on time. We have the no paper filter. Like that's, that's a huge plus. If you just don't want to be shopping around for paper filters and make sure you get the best ones for the, for the device then you're rid of all the paper filters, which mm -hmm. means you're also rid of all the paper flavor or right. residual aftertaste in your mouth if that's something you notice. And the other thing too is that you have no water reservoir to think about. So your water from the kettle is going right into your press and it just means you need, you need fewer devices mm -hmm. to make your coffee. 
Yeah, and you're you're every day you're starting with cleaning out the press. You know, again, you have to take the the filter and everything apart and make sure all those pieces are clean. But essentially, every brew is is starting with the device, just like it would be new. You know, it's clean. Another thing too about the French press is that if you like craft coffee, the good news is is that you can get it in a variety of sizes right. for smaller servings or for larger servings for multiple people. And that's, that's a great, that's a win-win, whereas you can't really do that with an AeroPress. You really can't do that. You don't have as much flexibility with the variety of pour-overs that are yeah. available. Yeah. And it, there's also some versions you can use for travel I've seen that have special sort of caps on top and m- made with like a thermos style body on the outside. Yeah, it's like a French press travel mug. And the, yeah, yeah, they exist. And so there is that option to you that I don't think you get with a lot of pour-over devices. Yeah. That if you still enjoy French press coffee and this is your go-to brewing style, if you travel a lot, then you have something where you can make craft coffee away from home or at the camp fire. So you can go full circle and do it just like the Cowboys, but with your industrialized French press. Right. And a French press looks good. It's an elegant looking, looking device. If you leave it sitting out on your countertop, it looks a whole lot better than some sort of black electronic drip. It looks mature. It looks like a mature thing in the kitchen counter. It's pretty. I should put three or four out on my counter so I look more you mature. You really yeah. should. Another th- nice thing about the French press coffee is that less is more. Once you get in the cup, it doesn't need, you don't need a lot to go a long way. Mm-hmm. It's like the dark chocolate of coffee. You don't need a whole candy bar of dark chocolate. Usually I'm satisfied with like half. Yes. Yeah. And the same is true about the French press coffee. It just seems like you're getting a richer experience with fewer swallows. It really does. That's one of the first things that I noticed when I started drinking French press coffee is I would have one of those Mondo plastic uh, travel mugs, you know, and I was constantly filling that thing up. I mean, I would, I'd probably drink three or four of those a day. When I moved over to French press coffee, I drink, you know, a 10 ounce, eight ounce mug and I was good. It just seems very yeah, satisfying exactly. to have less. Yeah. 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 And I don't, I don't know if that's just a psychological thing or not, but, but it was, it, it just felt like, okay, I'm good. You know, my, my coffee quota has been met. Yeah. And related to that is the cons. This is a very short section, but they do exist for that richness of flavor. It's not going to suit everyone's tastes. Mm-hmm. There are some people have told me, yeah, I tried to make a, a pot of French press for me and my wife or my significant others and my siblings in the home. And you know, we can't all agree about making a brew that would just work for everyone's taste. It's too strong or it's too weak. Yeah. And this person feels like, oh, the oils are not my thing. Right. That also gets into the sediment issue where there is sediment that does appear in the bottom of your cup. And while you're taking the last two or three swallows, it can be a surprise and very jarring when yeah. you get that splash on your tongue. And it's like, where did all the sand come? Oh, oh, yeah, it's yeah. French press. Right. And uh, yeah, so it's not going to work for everyone for that reason. I don't think the French press is necessarily the best device for all roasts either. I think dark roasts tend to represent better in a French press than, than say, a lighter roast or, or a medium roast. I think the dark roasts lend themselves more to you know being enhanced by those those oils than, say, a lighter roast, where you would, um, I tend to put those through a V60 because it just seems to represent better in that device than it does in a French press. Couldn't agree more. Just the last point here is that you are very dependent on what you get from the coarseness of your grind. Right. So whatever the case may be, when you're trying to perfect your recipe with a French press, you're going to find that the best results you can get are with a refined grinding process. So you need a better uh, grinder tool if you're not getting the results that you want. A blade grinder yeah, it'll certainly work. And if you get enough finesse with your blade grinder, then you can continue to make coffee on the cheap and make okay coffee with your French press and blade grinder together. But 
I don't recommend that to anyone. If you want the best results from a from the French press, then you need to go with a manual grinder that lets you have total control over the, uh, the consistency of your grind or go for a more precise tool like a conical burr grinder. And the burr grinders are just the way to go because you're going to get more consistency from the grind and have more control over the, their coarseness. And it's not left to human error or blade error. Right. That's uh, Those are our thoughts. That's it. Thank you very much for listening to episode, what is this, 48? 48. Just uh, one more for this year. I want to say a Merry Christmas to all of you listening to this episode. I hope that you make some good coffee on Christmas Day. Agreed. The show notes with links and everything else that we discussed are available at toprew.fm slash podcast slash 48. If you'd like the updates from Toprew, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at toprewfm. I'm on Twitter all the time, so it's the easiest place to catch me. But another way to engage with us or me is on Instagram with my account there. I'm sharing more about Top Brew and coffee topics there now. So follow me on Instagram if you want to see some things related to Top Brew, where my username is underscore Joe Darnell. Finally, I want to give a special thanks again to our continual sponsor, Thrasher Coffee. Use the coupon code TOPBREW to get 25% off and let them know that Top Brew sent you. I am Joe Darnell. Thanks again for listening to the Top Brew Podcast. Merry Christmas.